Today's readings are Psalms 118 and Matthew 21, 1 through 11. They can be found on pages 566 and 910 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can human beings do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in human beings. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but the, in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burned thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coal fire. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. 
that rejection is germane to the human experience, the human social experience. But also, there's, the human experience is filled with grandiose hopes of belonging. And it can be so disorienting amidst our, our sense of how things should work and how belonging should happen to experience rejection, the surprise and the disorienting nature of rejection. Christians, from the very beginning, as they try to make sense of who Jesus was, um, and Jesus taught them how to do this, they grabbed hold of ancient scriptures from the Old Testament that helped understand Jesus and his mission. What was he doing? Who, how does he see himself? What scripture text did he refer to? And one of them that he referred to, and then the early church grabbed hold of, very frequently is one that James just read a few minutes ago, where Psalm 18 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then it says, I think, God has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So, salvation, as it's accomplished through Jesus, we understand, we expect, and we know from the beginning that it's accomplished through the journey of Jesus' rejection. Not like we would expect or like Hollywood movies would have us imagine a good story being told. Not that I once was rejected. I once, in an earlier phase of my life, was, in, was impacted by rejection, but it made me stronger, and I eventually became victorious over it so that rejection would not define me and I would be the victor. Not, I save people despite rejection, but this is, I will enter through into the room, into the hallway of rejection as a way of bringing what I'm bringing. It is in the rejection that I save. And so actually the Christian, the Christian who's entered into what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus, looks at Jesus and says, he is bearing the weight of my rejection, of the rejection that should be aimed at me, the rejection that my heart fears, that when Lily doesn't play with me, that taps down deep into a sense of how I should belong somewhere deeply. I have a craving to belong. And that Jesus carries all of that rejection that we fear, all of that loss that we fear of human relationship and human connection. And Jesus, as he goes into rejection, ushers me into full acceptance. That's what the Christian believes about Jesus and rejection. And what is happening as we enter into Holy Week. The passage of Matthew 21 ends with something that is a little, a little flag, a little cue that says, pay attention. Where the last couple phrases are, are all about the identity of Jesus. It's always kind of important when this pops up in the Gospel stories. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, it's the last two sentences of, of the story we read, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now to put Jesus in the category of prophet gives us a lens through which to view this story. Through the lens of, well, he's being a prophet here. 
And what do prophets do? What do prophets do? Prophets in the, in the ancient scriptures of the Old Testament, that's where we see most of the stories of prophets. There's all these different prophets that we read about. And there's all these things that are common to all of them. There's themes that are involved in, in the life of a prophet, in the role of a prophet. And one of them is this. So let me just talk about one of them first. Is bringing about symbolic action. So action that is kind of often odd and stands out, but is meant to say and communicate something. Kind of like, okay, now that I have your attention, think about the connection between this acting out that I'm doing. And so there's some of the... The more odd ones are when the prophet Hosea is told to marry a prostitute, Gomer. So the prophet Hosea married this prostitute, Gomer, because she's um, going to be unfaithful to him. And it's a, it's a symbolic action to communicate to these people of God that they're an unfaithful people, that they're, they treat God like that, like they're being unfaithful in a covenant. And so, you know, he's, he, he's just told to do this just to send a message to the whole people. Another one, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, in a, in a strange one, he's told to lay on his side a certain number of days on his right side and then a certain number of his days on his left side. And that's communicating something about the, the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of the two different tribes of Israel. Um, you know, one of the sides was longer than the other because they had been, uh, they had paid less attention to the will of God in, in their calling as God's people. So these it, symbolic actions. In some ways, the word spectacle is a good word to bring into this. I don't know if you ever thought about what that word, you know, we hear people say, oh, it was quite the spectacle. What does that word spectacle mean? Spectacle, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's an eye-catching or dramatic public display. Spectacle. An eye-catching or dramatic public display. That's what Jesus is doing as he enters into Jerusalem. There's a prophetic sort of spectacle that is happening. And what, is, what are we learning from that? What do we see in it? What's unique about it? What's sort of odd about it? Did you catch the donkey? Um, the donkey? He's coming in to Jerusalem. There are crowds that are saying things that suggest a sort of royal thing that's happening, that Jesus is someone really important. There's all these crowds, and they're shouting. But he's riding in on, on a donkey. He's riding in on a donkey. This is what the, um, something like 500 years ago, Martin Luther, the, the great biblical theologian and reformer, um, wrote this about what Jesus did here. He says, look at him! You know, he's getting a sense of, this is a spectacle. Look at him! He rides in a stallion, which is a war animal. And he comes not with fearful pomp, pomp and power, but sits on a donkey, which is no war animal, but which is ready for burdens of work that will help human beings. Thereby he shows that he does not come to terrify people, to drive or oppress them, but to help them, to carry their burdens and take them on himself. So one of the first things to note is that when important people and important kingly people and, and Jesus, part of Jesus' identity for, for Christians is king, you know, king, lord, but it's not, it's something's different about it, right? Something, he's, he's the one that enters in on a donkey. Other kings and other important figures, when they come into the city and they're gonna be known as king, they're gonna be crowned and anointed as king, we get um, you know, we get armies and we have weapons and we take over and we get on a horse and we enter in on a chariot. 
even uh, even Muhammad, um, as he enters into Mecca, it's a it's with a it's an army of ten thousand people to take over the city of Mecca. I mean, these are the kinds of the, the kinds of threads that go with an important person taking over a city. And Christianity certainly later on had its crusades, but not at the helm of its founder, who rides in on a donkey into a week of not takeover but rejection. And it's, precise, it's epitomized by how it ends up. It doesn't end up with the crown, but you know what it is. It's a crown of thorns. It's a joke. It's a mockery and uh, suffering. It's painful. So that's Jesus' spectacle. It's coming in on a donkey. That's telling us something about the, hum the humble path and the path into rejection that Jesus takes. And that's a segue, that word rejection, also to the second piece of how we learn from him, this being a story about a prophet. Jesus being a prophet fits perfectly with um, all of the prophets of the Old Testament. One of the threads through all of them is rejection by the people. So for him to be a prophet is for this to be a symbolic kind of spectacle action and for it for sure to involve rejection. His mission at the heart of it is to be a prophet, and prophets are not accepted. Prophets are rejected by the people. Jesus steps right into the undependable nature of, of a crowd. And we know this to be true still today. Whatever the crowd is, Jesus steps right into the unpredictable nature of a crowd and experiences it himself. That at the beginning of the week, it's, Hosanna! This is the son of David. Let's lay down our clothing for him to, for his donkey to walk on. And then at the end of the week, the crowd in the same city is calling out for his death. Crucify. This is a fickle nature of crowds, of public opinion, of staking your life on impression management. So friends, I mean, this is so true of us today. If you're in any way basing any degree of your happiness on how you are received and accepted by the world around you, you will be disappointed to that same degree. You will be greatly disappointed. And your life will be a series of getting falsely inflated and crushingly deflated as you go back and forth, up and down, the roller coaster of public opinion. The fickle nature of a crowd, the undependable nature of the approval of the world around you. I mean, let, let pop stars tell you, anybody who gets famous, just all it does is continue to stir up a greater and greater need to know for sure that I'm still popular, that I'm famous, that I'm better than the other one, that, I'm, that you like me, that I belong. And the doubt just continues to eat away. And it is Jesus' journey into rejection of this week, the Holy Week, his journey into rejection that paves the way for your and my lasting, permanent belonging. It's the only answer that the Christian has on the issue of belonging. Is that Jesus went in and experienced rejection on my behalf for me that I could get the, the belonging and the acceptance that exists between, as we, as we see it, and as, it was, as it's been revealed through Jesus, the Father and the Son, 
within God himself this sort of connection and belonging that we've been ushered into as Jesus takes our place. So Christians no longer need the crowds. A Christian no longer needs the crowd, no longer needs the likes, no longer needs to tally up the retweets, and no longer needs to be dominated by fear of rejection, because ultimate acceptance has been granted. And this is in theory. Everybody knows that if you've even begun to journey on this, you know you need to keep looking into this and, and, and driving it deep into your own wounds and your own difficult issues of rejection over and over again because it's so hard to hang on to. And yet that is the thing to hang on to. We need prayers like this, which is available on the prayer cards in the back. You know, we have these lengthened prayer cards. They're hanging up there with closed pins. Check them out and grab one before they're, you know, next week they won't be up there anymore. So take them while you've got them up. This is the Lenten prayer for fearing rejection. Listen to this prayer. This is just an example of how to drive the belonging of Jesus into your life. Powerful judge, I insulate my life from judgment and potential condemnation of others. There is great fear deep in my heart of being judged a failure. When confronted, my radar increases, increases its range, and I'm on edge for the next missile of rejection. I buy into the lie that my worth is always undetermined and vulnerable to devaluation. But in Christ, I am your oh-so-loved child. Welcome forever into the protection of your palace. I am as valuable to you now as your only son, whom you gave for me on the cross. The only way my status is revoked is when I stop living as if it were secure. I look forward to the day of your full embrace, when every fear will be driven out of my heart for you. That's the prayer. That's what a Christian needs to do, is keep driving that down deeper and deeper. There's these, um, let me grab these slips of paper here a second. There's some of these in the back, and I'll have some of these in front if you want a copy of this. This is a prayer, this is a, um, a question and answer, and it's the first one of a catechism that I learned when I was growing up. I learned, this is the first one in the catechism, and there's a hundred something questions and answers. So this is one of, the, one of the few of them that I was taught to memorize. I'm a little shaky on it, but I still have most of it kind of burned in the ruts of my brain from having memorized this as a child. But part of the problem is things, even things you memorize, they don't fully come alive. I really wish this, as a sort of insight to the belonging that a Christian has, I wish this would have really come alive for me when I was about 10 or 11, 12 years old, when I was experiencing all kinds of kind of rejection in the social scene of 5th, 6th, 7th grade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what I'm talking about. I wish this would come alive for me. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head. 
without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. If you want a copy of that, just come, come up here after the service and there's a few on the back table as well. And lastly, very briefly, so what happens if a community of people kind of draw together around who all are defined by that kind of belonging, that kind of certainty of belonging? What, what does that community look like? What is the spectacle that is created through a community of people convinced at a deep level of their own acceptance and belonging, people who aren't running around with the agitation of rejection? Well, it's, I think you could probably come up with a sort of finish the sentence thing yourself. I think it starts to look like a powerful spectacle of, of like, you know, a dramatic playing out of acceptance and belonging. A sense of we're all on the journey and we just anyone that comes along that happens to be near is, hey, come on in. Let's, we're all going this way. Yeah, of course you belong. Jump in. Of course, yeah, you, yeah, you, everyone, yeah, come on in. In a sense, a predisposition towards the joy of including, the joy of bringing in. That's our prophetic, symbolic demonstration that we're just filled, if nothing else, we're filled with an uncommon level of acceptance, of, you know, the popular, the jocks, the geeks, the everyone, you know? Everyone's just, come on in, of course. No, we don't even think on those terms anymore. Uncommon acceptance. Let's pray that that might be true. I invite you to pray. Our God of grace, may this community uh, be a place that is drinking deep of the waters of your grace. And may we be convinced that something that happened during Holy Week has everything to do with us and changes our life. And may it also be reflected as being true by what we see around us in this community and how this church, how this group of misfits and mixed nuts exhibits itself amidst this city. May we be, may we follow you and follow our Savior, riding in on a donkey. And having a high tolerance to face the various rejections that the world might throw our way. Because there's nothing that can take away the acceptance that we have deep in our souls already experienced. We pray this in Jesus' name. We need your help. Amen. Amen.